It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Tilford. Josh Brown, how you doing? I'm doing all right, you know. It's nice to Hanging be back. In. It's nice to be in the studio with you. Yeah. It's nice to be able to just walk over and give you a little cuddle in it. <laughs> we had a lovely little cuddle yesterday. We put it, we left it in the video um, to set things back right at the start of the year, the first video together in many, many months. You know what? Everyone wow. keeps saying, how's Josh? How are you doing? How are you? Are you having a good week? <laughs> I'm doing very well. As I tweeted at the end of last year, I, re- I realized it that I I found out the information about the middle of last year that I'm going to be a dad. But little man kicked me the other day, and it was the best feeling in the world. That is magnificent. Yeah, little dude's uh, arriving in a few more months. But um, yeah, my wife was like, put your hand on, on this belly. And then I just waited a little bit, and a little, little kick there. <laughs> could have been a headbutt. I have no idea what it, it is. Could, but could be punching, could be kicking. But it, I'm telling you, all the parents out there, that is the good S. That maybe, is the good stuff. Maybe the child is saying, you're making the wrong decisions on Baldur's <laughs> Gate, Scott. <laughs> hey, that's something Adam Strawn tells me anyway. I don't need my... <laughs> Uh, my young child to weigh in. Uh, me and you will talk about Baldur's Gate 3 next week. We're going to do our completely subjective ranking of games of 2023, um, which means anything can be on there, be it a, an older game, anything you played in 2023. I'm saying this because Final Fantasy 4 is going to be my number one, and that's a 1994 <laughs> game. So, yeah. so we'll see how that goes. Um, for today, though, we thought we'd dive into a conversation on the state of the various companies that are assumedly at the top of the industry, <laughs> at least in regards to the console manufacturers, and um, the three pillars of the industry, Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo. Nintendo, um, wait, and just, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Ah, ah. Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo, you've got it wrong. Go on. Sony, Nintendo, Google Stadia. <laughs> Stadia's still going. It's still clinging on. You know when they said it was, they were like, oh, no, it's it's winding down. We're retiring it. And yeah. then there was like a bunch of games coming out on it. So they did like a tweet being like, hey, by the way, it's still available. I'm like, who's going to buy that? Has a, games still come out for that thing, do they? Well, stuff would still be in production that we had need to do. Imagine being one of those devs. Like, I feel so sorry for anyone who's developing for that. Like, it reminds me of the Ouya. How many, I think you introduced me to this a few mm. years ago. There was like a big document about everything Google has abandoned. Like oh imagine working on a Google project like that, yeah. just knowing at a certain point it's going to join that list. I think it's called killedbygoogle.com. Uh, it's either Google Graveyard or Killed by Google. There's multiple ones, but there is one big archival site because, I mean, you will remember Google Glass. Yes. Back in the day. <laughs> yes. um, Google Stadia. I remember when Google Stadia first dropped and we watched the reveal uh, in the office. And at the time, uh, Osley Beatty, who um, was with us at the time, 
time, he hasn't passed away or anything, but he was there. And I remember him just laughing at it, just going, there's no way that's going to work. Yeah. And uh, the whole streaming future thing is something that Xbox is trying to do. Um, but we'll get to Xbox in good time. Let's open on Sony stuff. Um, now, me and you talked about this on the wind-up earlier in the week, but I thought um, we should at least talk about Sony in the state of um, PlayStation. Because I do think, I guess, do your general thoughts on it. I'll, I've got some points I want to get to. But where are you at on PlayStation right now? It's a hard one, because I look at the games that have released over the past few years, and I've enjoyed every single one mm. of them. I've even loved a few, you know, Returnal, God of War, um, Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to call that Valhalla now, you know, well, since that's the what DLC it's right dropped. Now. I almost make the mistake every time. <laughs> but the point is, I've enjoyed every single thing they put out. I love the PSVR 2 and uh, the games that released alongside that. I've loved their expansion into movies and TV. I really enjoyed The Last of Us. I even thought Uncharted was quite good. I didn't mind Uncharted at all. Never saw Gran Turismo in the end, but, no, you know, neither. maybe no. one day. They tried to give us it for free. We said no. <laughs> Keep it away <laughs> is from that me. Right? Is that right? <laughs> I'm sure they put it on either PS Plus or they put it on some sort of, um, oh, they did it at the end of last year. It was like, here's some movies for you guys. And everyone's like, just that meme of the the puppet looking away. Like, I'm all right. I'm fine, thank you. But the point is, even though I've enjoyed everything they've done, I just find they've become a bit boring. You know, I don't think they're in dire straits Mm. or anything like that. I do think their push towards live services was a a mistake, but Mm. it seems like they've rectified that issue. Mm. Just when I look at, Sony now, I just think like it it feels so corporate yeah. and it feels so cold. kind of cold. Yeah, and it doesn't that connection with the fans, you know, that they used to have, the the edge in their kind of wackier marketing, the bit of personality mm. that they used to have, I think has kind of gone away across the Jim Ryan era. Yep. And what we're left with, you know, are exceptional studios and good games. So I don't want to rag on them too much, but the lack of sort of transparency when it comes to, you know, how few reveals or events they Mm. do these days and Mm. how kind of boring their announcements can often be, you know, we're announcing the PlayStation VR 2 on a blog post. We're talking about <laughs> PS5 with Wired, but we're not going to show you anything. No. Like that, to me, is just... I feel like they can do better in that regard. Yeah, my thing is, like, the it's not necessarily the promise of next-gen, but the suggestion of what a new console generation can bring. Like, obviously, the leaps between generations are smaller and smaller as we go um, down the line, but, like, they've barely capitalized on the what the PS5 can do. Hmm. Like, I'm not... I didn't get a PS5 to play Last of Us 2 again. Like, it's I did. Just, I know you did, but, like, it's still that thing of, like, I don't even know what shows off what this system can do. I got that feeling a bit playing Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty because that game, that DLC is actually geared or made for next-gen systems. Like, they didn't have to cater to the old-gen stuff. Yeah. Um, but there are so few games that feel like, oh, my God, this was, you know, couldn't be done before. Or, like, look at how, look at the way I'm controlling this. Or, like, feel the um, feel the cheese my mind went to for the Simpsons quote. <laughs> but still, there's so few things doing that. And um, I don't necessarily consciously think of that every other week. But when I take a step back and think about the generation... Um, you know, you do think about the Horizons, the God of War is like, they're solid, but the thing that differentiated the PS5 version of those games was it's a higher resolution or it's a higher frame rate. Yeah. And I want those things, but I th- thought they would be quality of life improvements, not like the main thing. And you know what? I do get that. We've definitely talked Excuse before me. about, you know, how the um, cross-gen approach to mm. the early part of this generation definitely led to that feeling that you described there of, well, where's the thing that I need to buy a PlayStation Fall, and I, I just just hope that across the next few years we start to see those games. To mm. me, Spider-Man 2 was kind of halfway there. When that game opened, I thought it was going to be the best game I ever played. I oh, know man. we might have different opinions on this, but that Sandman fight, right. the scale of that yeah. and the way... I know it's been doing the rounds on social media, but when Miles gets thrown across the city and it's so fast and it's so instantaneous, to me there was something about the scale and the detail of 
the world they had created there. I know a few of the character models looked a little bit dodgy, yes. but there was something about it where I felt like, okay, I can see why I need a PlayStation 5 to play this. But then after that, just despite having some excellent moments that rivaled that intro later on throughout the game, it did kind of slow back down into a familiar rhythm that you know, you maybe associate with the Horizon sequel or the God of War sequel, where mm. it's like, oh, you've given me something fantastic, but now I'm getting a lot of stuff that's kind of familiar mm. and that I could have perhaps um, experienced on a PlayStation 4. Yeah, man, I, I like, <laughs> after Spider-Man 2, I uh, started sketching out an editorial or a rant or whatever called Sony Make Boring Sequels. That doesn't sound like you. <laughs> I had to tap into it, you know, it's a bit of a while. And um, yeah, I thought Spider-Man 2 very, very polished and everything, but it, it didn't blow me away. That opening bit, Sai was the one who said it, but she was like, it's the worst part of those games. <laughs> like, it's the, it's just, it's so on rails. And I remember thinking, when I played through it, I really didn't like how arbitrary the combat felt, but you're fighting these big, like, mush men. <gasps> it was just, it didn't work for me at all. My it didn't heart. work for me, didn't work for me or Sai at all, but um, you and absolutely loved it, and obviously you're a big fan as well. Um, and, it, like, it, for the people that worked for, that was a good showcase of, look how much of the city we can load in one go. I definitely got that from the uh, the map menu, like the open world map, and that you can pick any point in the map and then just um, pick where you want to go, and the game has that really cool transition where you sort of, like, it, it goes from the graphic into real time, and that's yeah. sick. <laughs> but you barely, like, they don't do anything with it. Like, it's mm. other than, like, like you said, the bit at the beginning. Um, that's not necessarily the thing I wanted to focus on too much. I think my thoughts on PS5 are that I'm still waiting for, you need a PS5 to play X. I'm still waiting for that thing. Um, it's not to say they haven't had really fun games, but um, it's a weird thing because one of the points that I had down here was the PS5 Pro is meant to be coming this year. Yeah. And we do not need that thing. No, like, we really don't. Like and it's the smallest leap between any console. I know. And that's coming from someone who gobbled up the PS4 Pro like it was a Sunday roast. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I couldn't wait for that thing when uh -huh. it dropped. But this time around, I think because they have, you know, taken that cross-generational approach to the start of this gen, mm. We haven't seen those games like you described. Like, yeah, I, c I can point to a bunch of games that I've loved that are on the PS5 exclusively, and mm. I can say that segment is next-gen. You know, we talk about the boss fights in Final Fantasy 16. Yeah. Not a first-party exclusive, but still a PS5 mm -hmm. exclusive. Those could not be accomplished in that way on a previous generation. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot in that game that still could. You know, yeah. there's a lot of, like, moment-to-moment -moment gameplay that didn't feel that next-gen or that revolutionary. So, yeah, when it comes to the PlayStation 4 Pro, uh, PlayStation 5 Pro, sorry, mm -hmm. I think, what would I be getting this for? I don't have an 8, 8K television. Another thing is, I like... Don't I always prioritize quality modes anyway. Mm. It'll, will it give me a slight frame rate boost? Like, what am I going to buy this for? Mm -hmm. I bought a PS4 Pro so I could get the best version of The Last of Us Part 2. Right. What am I buying the PlayStation 5 Pro to um, kind of future-proof myself for? That's mm -hmm. my question at this moment in time. Yeah, and it's like, they, I remember when they started rolling out the marketing for the PS4 Pro, where it was all the, uh, they had like Todd Howard and all these various developers saying, we need this power, like we're waiting to take advantage of this thing. And obviously the last generation was so like immediately hobbled by all these, like Watch Dogs was like a state, Assassin's Creed Unity was a state. Um, it was the buggy, glitchy generation. And it was like, oh, if only we had more tech, it would solve everything. And then obviously that came out, it didn't solve anything. Even <laughs> last year, you had all the, those ridiculously broken games, like even like Redfall or Kong Skull Island, 
or whatever it is, I think the bar of um, quality is like it's it's more of a spiky line. Like yes. it's just there's not and there's an expect there's an um, assumption that you're getting a, either a broken product or a, a not polished finished product. Most people don't buy day one, hmm. um, and it's like it's that general conversation on like you might as well wait. There'll be a game of the year version, it's Jedi Survivor. I went back to that over the Christmas holidays because yes. I, I can finally play a finished performance <laughs> version. It took seven months for them to get that thing. Done. <laughs> like that's really insane. It is. It absolutely is. And you know, I, I know we said we were going to move on from like almost <laughs> the graphical debate, but mm. what kind of sums up the position of the PlayStation 5 at the moment in time and whether or not we need a PS5 Pro is you look at The Last of Us Part 2 mm-hmm. running on PlayStation 4. It still looks unbelievable. Yep. It got that update for the PS5 anyway that I think ups the frame rate and it the did, resolution uh, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you look at um, side-by-sides of screenshots from the original version and the remastered version on the PS5 mm-hmm. and the... Differences the same. <laughs> are so, so minor. Whereas you jump back a generation and you look at the differences between the original Last of Us on the PS3 and the remaster mm. that came out on the PS4. And, you know, it's such a bigger jump. And that's kind of... Uh, th- those smaller discrepancies and those smaller margins now, mm-hmm. to me, makes me wonder who the who's going to buy a PS5 pro who already owns a ps5 it might be a you know an excellent um thing for people who have been waiting to jump on mm. the next gen train mm-hmm. but like who is this for is it for those newcomers or is it so is it being sold to me and you? I think they're still doing the, like, how do, we, how do we get the console audience to be more in line with the PC mentality of, like, we might as well sell you the half-step system because we're working on the chipsets anyway. Mm-hmm. And in years gone by and generations gone by, um, shorter generations, we would just put the next system out. And it's like, we might as, we might as well just do a PS5 Pro with the, with the new chipsets in. And obviously, we've learned how to make the hardware a bit smaller. Even the new revision of the PS5, the, the basic shell of the existing system is a bit smaller. Yeah. And it's like, tech always gets smaller over time. So, I think they're just learning to monetize that stuff a bit more. And the PS4 Pro was the experiment. And then it sold well enough that they were like, we might as well do this. Yeah. And then do a PS6 in another few years. Um, I was going to mention games, though. Um, PS5 Pro, um, I think I said before, but it's um, penciled in for holiday 2024. Um, so it'll be towards the end of the year, September, November. Um, I, Sony have just got a nothing slate, though. Yeah. Like, for this, yeah. Like, you've got Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, um, which has an exclusivity window of three months, um, which is... it's. I don't know what the hell they're doing with Square Is that Enix. only three months, is it? Apparently, <laughs> It's yeah. interesting. It's, but the thing is, like, they, they're so shady with it because, like, mm. Final Fantasy VII Remake from 2020 still hasn't got an Xbox release date. Oh. And they, but they had initial marketing materials and conversations around it coming to Xbox back then. And then it's just it just is this PlayStation franchise. And, like, 16 was exclusive. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know what those conversations are. And it's like, I don't know how that benefits Square Enix, a company that aren't doing that well. Like, they're doing okay, but there was a whole thing about how Final Fantasy VII Remake, like, saved them from almost bankruptcy. Yeah. Like, they you know, would they would be better to put their games on multiple platforms again. It would, but even when they do that, they always complain, man. They always <laughs> talk about how all of their games, no matter what console they release on, comes in under expectations. Yeah. They're never happy with anything. No. They just can't. I don't know why they're in the video game business in a way, <laughs> to be honest, because they're never happy. They they have outlandish expectations for the games that they're actually making. So I wonder whether they keep turning to Sony just to get some guaranteed money in to help fund the development to Maybe. offset those um, 
uh, underwhelming in their eyes um, revenues from those games mm. that they always, always seem to harp mm. on about. I don't know. Well, the thing is, like, the overall thing is that like exclusives don't necessarily matter as much as we would want them to, or I would want them to. Um, because if you look at the PS5 exclusives that are listed for the rest of the year, you've got Helldivers 2, uh, Foam Stars. Mm. Um, Helldivers is the one from the studio that they acquired, but like Foam Stars is, uh, I think that is a Square Enix game anyway. It is, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it's like third parties are kind of bailing them out. The other games they've got down are Rise of the Ronin, Death Stranding 2, and Final Fantasy. Um, they don't have, other than the live service stuff, they don't have any first party games you know, on the on the docket, and they haven't had for a while. Um, I think internally, internally in my head, that that's because they bet so much on the live service stuff, and the reception to that was so negative. But because of how protracted game development is, yeah. if you're walking something back, it's like two, three years of of a certain development that needs to be walked back, and it'll take that again to get a whole bunch of single player projects back in the works. Like, it's true. I think this year is a stopgap year. And I think if they do a PS5 Pro, there'll be very little to show it off. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with that. But ah, I don't know, man. I agree, <laughs> and I also... Like the console sales are sky high. Yeah. We'll talk about them when we get to Xbox stuff, um, or more about when we get when we get the Xbox stuff, but like they are by far the market leader. Absolutely. I said this in the podcast the other day, but I do think they can have a quieter year. Mm. To me... If they do release the games that you've mentioned there, Death Stranding 2, Final Fantasy um, 7 Rebirth, and then the likes of Helldivers and Form Stars mm-hmm. and maybe a few other things um, across the year that we might not know about, I think that's decent. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes sense that even if they didn't can all of those live service games and they haven't pivoted away from the likes of The Last of Us Factions, we probably would have been in for a quieter year anyway in mm-hmm. my eyes because... Mm-hmm. Again, like I said in the podcast the other day, I think we've had a decent start to the generation, way better than we had um, in the PS4 era in terms of first-party exclusives. You know, we came out the gate with the likes of Demon Souls and mm. uh, Returnal and Horizon and God of War, and we've got remakes for The Last of Us True. and whatnot. We've had a pretty decent first-party slate, and I look <clears> at the studios that have put out games, you know, obviously Spider-Man 2 as well and Spider-Man Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. I look at the studios that have put out games, Insomniac, Naughty Dog, uh, Sony Santa Monica, um, bloody a, a bunch of them is, <laughs> is my point. Yes. And I think they would have needed to cook anyway. Yeah, you yeah. know, like they, they probably wouldn't have had a game ready anyway. Like Naughty Dog single player game maybe would have came out this year if they were yeah. all focusing on it. But it's a it's a, it's a big maybe is what mm. I'm saying. So the thing is like the, the the potential shadow drop would be a ghost of Sushima or yeah. whatever the follow-up to that is, like whatever Sucker Punch's next project is. Um it's just that there was so many I mentioned internal before, but it was like there were so many reports coming out of about Sony, the the, the work culture at Sony oh, and yeah. like the um conversation around layoffs and all that kind of stuff on the Insomniac side. And it was like if the Spider Man studio is struggling, what the hell are you guys doing? No, that is true. And you know it and I'm not cutting Sony any slack here mm. because that stuff absolutely sucks. I just that is like so across the industry right now, and it makes me it makes me worry about the industry. Mm. You know, if like like you're saying, the biggest Sony, the market leaders, uh, the biggest Sony, the biggest companies <laughs> like Sony, you yes. know, the market leaders who have these huge franchises and huge licenses, if they're worried about the margins, like that can't be healthy for mm. the entire industry, you know, if they're worried that Spider-Man 2 won't make enough money despite the original game selling 20 million copies and they might have to lay people off. Like, that is a that's a dreadful in- environment to yeah. cultivate, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and, it, and it absolutely sucks for the passionate, talented people who are, like we mentioned the other day, you know, on the ground 
putting their blood, sweat, and tears into these mm. games to not only make good games, but games that sell really well. The only issue is they aren't selling, quote-unquote, enough for the people in charge. Yeah, and also and to that end, like the likes of a Spider-Man, a Spider-Man with Insomniac and the amount of Marvel titles that are now in, on the slate for them and the amount of money that's tied up in those deals, like Spider-Man's development cost was like $360 million or something. Something it's ridiculous. Some ludicrous yeah. amount. <coughs> Excuse me. Some ludicrous amount that, um, you know, ultimately I would have to imagine goes into, it was all license fee. Like I imagine that if you're Marvel and you're trying to get on top of um, a slate of characters rolling out, Spider-Man is your boy. And uh, and I think that was probably the, the amount that would have um, made that go so high because the likes of Baldur's Gate was a lot less. Mm. Um, you know, I keep saying I would, I would much prefer Insomniac did 10 smaller titles than what we now know they are going to be doing, um, whether it be X-Men or uh, more Spider-Man games. There was the, there's the Spider-Man multiplayer game, like the multiverse game, uh, Spider-Verse game, um, that stuff, like the amount that that then needs to make back, I just feel like it doesn't isn't doesn't make sense. And it reminds mm. me of the Sean Layden um, conversation, who was obviously an ex-head of um, Sony PlayStation, talking about how everything is unsustainable. This road that we're on is unsustainable, and I wonder who's going to break first mm. um, in terms of like walking stuff back and not making so many humongous bets over and over again. Square Enix, it goes yeah. back to what we were just saying. You know, that's that's probably part of the reason why they're relying on other people to get funding for their own games because, mm. you know, they're disappointed with the sales of everything they put out. Like, at a certain point, like, that level of production, you know, competing with the most graphically impressive, most feature-rich games, like, kind of becomes a losing game. We've seen yeah. that in the in the movie space, I think, over the past few years especially, you mm. know. Suddenly, Marvel, which was once the most bankable uh, franchise mm. in the world, suddenly that starts losing money and it's spending $300 million on every movie that it puts out and it can no longer justify those those price points. So then you start seeing movies shift around. You start seeing movies and television shows get canceled. Mm-hmm. And it's not just them. It's uh, industry-wide, you know. Um, movies come out, they don't make quite as much, you know. Something might make $700 million, but mm-hmm. because, because it cost 300 before marketing... It barely makes a profit. It might even lose money, you know? And that kind of high-level risk is so prevalent now that, like like John Layden was saying, you know, that isn't sustainable for everything. It can be for maybe one blockbuster a year, but Mm. not for, um, not, with it, not if it's the model for the entire industry. Yeah, and that was the thing with Spidey was like because it had this astronomical development budget, it had to sell like seven or eight million um, to try and to I think to even break to even break even, and like that would I think the uh, launch sales were about two or three million in the first weekend, um, and whether that they haven't reported on it since then, so it's like you would assume that that makes sense, but it's just such a weird industry, like you said before, about the industry itself is maybe the issue where um, you know the fact that the Spider-Man studio are struggling. Like imagine working on Spider-Man, you get it over the finish line. And then just before Christmas, you're told, actually, no, we're actually going to have to have some layoffs, have conversations yeah. about layoffs that are down the line, um, which was indicative of, of 2023 overall. And it's a wider industry thing and not just the console manufacturers, but um, the amount of people that have lost their jobs in the industry is over 10,000 now, it's, which is ludicrous. Well, yeah. I did see, um, I think it was either Jason Schreider over at Bloomberg or uh, maybe like a Kotaku writer saying, uh, sorry, it was Polygon, I think, saying the 2022's layoffs were also sky high. It's just that it wasn't as much in the conversation. 2023 is definitely higher, but it's, it is an overall issue with the industry. Yeah, man. A lot of it is coming out of the pandemic, a lot of bets that were made in the pandemic. 
um, based around the amount of time people had to play games that clearly wasn't going to sustain once people started, um, once that, you know, was mostly over. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everyone was saying it around the time of the Game Awards where, mm. you know, people like us, a lot of people were saying, you know, 2023 was a great year for games and mm-hmm. it absolutely was. You know, like the the games that came out were of such a, in my opinion, high quality and there yes. was often one every month that everyone was talking about or clamoring to play. But at the same time, it was a dreadful time for the games industry because the people who were making those games were, felt like they were getting <laughs> shafted more than ever with all of these layoffs and with these precarious kind of working conditions within the studios, despite them working on successful big games Mm -hmm. and it's yeah uh, it goes back to that question of across the companies how long can that continue especially when these companies sony included admittedly to a lesser degree than some of the competition are gobbling up studios (laughs) and then not really knowing what to do with them you know we saw the embracer fiasco last year where they had a billion a couple billion dollar deal fall through Mm. And it meant that all the oh, studios yeah. that they bought, you know, these some in some cases iconic studios working on iconic franchises mm. just got shuttered. So they bought them to shut them down. And I don't think Microsoft necessarily will be in that position because they have way more of a financial cushion, but they have bought so many studios. At what point? I mean, they made loads of layoffs last year as well. Yeah. At what point did they look at those studios and say, we might have overdone it here. Let's shut a few of those down. Mm-hmm. EA did it in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. You know, they gobbled up a bunch of studios. My beloved Bullfrog did not Exactly. Visceral Games, among many others. And I kind of just worry about that kind of acquisition um, spree that some companies mm. are on and it seems like a good idea in the short term, but long term, how can you sustain all of those studios with the margins that you currently have? Yeah, and it's like we're already seeing that crumble, like especially across 2023. Question though, are what? Xbox getting out of the console business? Oh, I Josh think Brown. Scott, are you going to tell me? Uh, well, this is the, the conversation doing the rounds at the minute. Uh, we had Stephen Totillo over on GameFile.com um, where he talked to various sources and they indicate that Hi-Fi Russian Sea of Thieves are apparently going to switch and might also be on PlayStation 5. Interesting. Um, and that, I mean, it made me think of, you know, you've got the Ori games made their way across the Switch. That was initially like a whole Xbox thing, Ori in the Blind Forest, Ori in the Will of the Wisps. Um, and Starfield is in the conversation here, but there's nothing specific for that. So it, I think that's just a wider conversation. Like that idea of would Xbox go the way of Sega? Um, the whole thing back when Xbox was getting off the ground, they had a lot of people from Sega coming across and like the uh, trying to mimic that idea of so uh, Sega used to be this massive deal in the console space. And then when they announced their um, stepping back from the console um, the actual manufacturing of consoles, yeah. when Sega just became a publisher, that was a huge deal for the time, considering how massive they were versus Nintendo across the 90s. Um, and could that happen with Xbox as well? Are they actually better off just being uh, the Game Pass company and you yeah. get a Game Pass app on your TV or your PlayStation or your Switch, um, and then you license the games out? Because, um, you know, like we said earlier in the podcast, that you have all these various titles that um, or companies that they've acquired, and they have all these things in the works, and you might as well just license them out and make, if you just care about the money, you could do that. Um, I've got a couple of statistics in here uh, where the PlayStation 5 outsold Xboxes, both Series X and S, 9 to 1 in France according to Metro.com. Uh, that was back in October 2023. And then we had uh, Reuters. Yeah. Reuters? I think it's Reuters. 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 Um, saying that the PlayStation 5 outsold both Xboxes 3 to 1 overall in 2023. Mm. Um, it's been a conversation for a while about um, how much Xbox as a business model is relying on Game Pass and subscription services and not necessarily big exclusives. You can look at their slate for 2024. It's barren. It is. It's uh, There's maybe Hellblade 2 if we're lucky. There's maybe. Maybe a you know, if we're lucky. Maybe. And so uh, we'll get back to that in a bit. But what do you think of like the viability of um, them bec- 
becoming just a publisher. Like I, they did report record profits overall as yeah. Microsoft. Um, there's some stuff in here about um, you know Phil Spencer's thoughts on how much he wants Game Pass to meaningfully grow, or they'd leave the industry. Um, thoughts before we go any further. I have a lot of conflicting thoughts. Please do, Scott Telford, about this. So apologies if I might may even contradict myself because I'm kind of <laughs> trying to process this because it no seems one in the industry knows what's going no. on. <laughs> no one has any idea. What's Nobody going on. in the world knows what they're doing. Right? Let's just oh. uh, admit that right now. Uh, but with this case in particular, initially my gut feeling was that sounds like a mistake. You're mm. kind of undermining your own system. You're undermining your own service. Why would you put those games um, on the competition's platforms? Mm. But the more I think about it, the more it actually makes a little bit of sense yeah. in terms of Xbox's overall strategy over the past few years. You know, like you said, they've been pushing Game Pass so much. And to me, it never fully made sense to have exclusive games on Game Pass, and then only sell them on the store as well, on the right. Xbox store or the PC store, because I, I can't imagine a bunch of people, or you, I can't imagine you're maximizing your potential profit, because assumedly, if you're on Xbox and you're looking forward to those games, mm. you'll probably most likely have Game Pass. Mm. Whereas going forward, you know, with all of Xbox's acquisitions, in particular the Activision acquisition, which gives them Call of Duty, but mm. doesn't give them access to exclusivity for Call of Duty, I wonder whether they're looking ahead at a future where they're literally going to be forced to make some of their first-party games multi-platform anyway. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if they're saying, well, why don't we kind of experiment with this, put a few of our other titles and franchises on the competition's platforms, and in a way, maybe make Game Pass look more lucrative. Yeah. Because if you're on, you know, if, you, if you're looking forward to the next Call of Duty and you own a PlayStation 5, you might look at that £70 price point and look at it being quote-unquote free on Game Pass. And maybe that gets you to kind of look at the competition in a way that you wouldn't have um, before. You mm -hmm. know, I, I don't know. I, I just kind of wonder whether that's a tactic because I wonder whether they're looking at the majority of Xbox players already being on Game Pass anyway and not paying for those exclusives. Mm -hmm. So why not either get more money by putting it on more consoles and at the same time, maybe drawing attention to Game Pass by saying, well, yeah, you can pay for it over here, mm -hmm. but it's free over there. I, I, I'd be so fascinated by the uh, the Sony legality side of it if they allow Xbox logos or Game Pass advertisements or yeah. whatever in the boot-up sequences of Call of Duty going forward. Like, obviously, the acquisition did go through at the end of last year. Um, there's all the Bobby Kotick stuff to sort out. He's leaving. They, they need to sort out whatever the hell their new hierarchy is going to be mm -hmm. and whatever the hell Call of Duty is going to be going forward. Um, but we mentioned on one of the earlier podcasts in the week, the idea that you just get Modern Warfare 3 out the door, that's the last thing you do, you put a line under that, and then moving forward, it's this new cross-platform, it's this whole Xbox era of Call of Duty, and what's that going to look like, is it going to be more spaced out, or whatever. Um, there was a whole thing where MLB The Show went over to Xbox, and yeah. it was like they had the uh, Sony Studios logo, PlayStation logo thing at the, at the in front of that on an Xbox console, um, and Xbox seemed fine with that. And I wonder, like I said, what the legalities are. Can a platform holder, probably can, restrict a, a logo, an advertisement within their game 
um, Xbox's whole thing at the minute is like, everything's for everyone. We're chill. Don't yeah. worry about it. We just want to make so does everyone should play everything. Um, in the FTC trial, they were just like, oh, we're doing terribly. Us acquiring Activision won't do anything because we're so bad at this. <laughs> like, it, that was their whole thing. Um, so I don't think they cared. But Sony are way more tight-lipped and way more, um, I don't know, like bullish when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Where they didn't even want to let uh, Rocket League have cross-play because they thought it would take people off PlayStation. Yeah, remember that era, like, from 2014 <laughs> Onwards for a few years, where they were so against crossplay, they were like, "We are this island. Like, yeah, no you'll one play with us. Yeah, no one else. Yeah, no one else can come and join. <laughs> Make this your party. friend buy a PS5. Yeah. <laughs> it's our friend. Yeah. These are our friends. Um, <laughs> but now, admittedly, they have become a little bit more lax on that. Obviously, kind of hard to. Yeah, yeah they, they, they've had to change with the times, and I think that they might have to with this. Like, they mm. are playing. Like Microsoft always says, is, is, is admittedly that PlayStation isn't necessarily their comp- competition because they're almost playing a different game, right? Mm. Like they're focusing on almost completely different priorities, at least in terms of hardware and services. Mm-hmm. While Sony is, in my opinion, still rightfully so, focused on the games themselves and shifting those and shifting platforms and the kind of more conventional model that we've become accustomed to over the past few decades. Mm-hmm. But the world is constantly changing. The gaming industry is constantly changing. There's going to have to be um, compromises made across the board, probably on both parties, mm-hmm. to ensure that Sony doesn't lose out completely in 10 years' time on Call of Duty, on well, the big games that um, the publishers and the, the developers that now work for Microsoft are putting out. Yeah, my thing is, like, is the future of gaming is the future of gaming still the subscription monthly model? Do, do people actually want that? Because when you look at that as a revenue model overall, Amazon on Amazon Prime have put in adverts for their yeah. basic tier. They put the price up. Disney Plus have had a, had a price like three times now within the last year or so. Um, I think Netflix have gone up once, but um, they introduced more tiers. There's yeah. family packages. They always had family spending models, but they've tried to make it work, and it doesn't seem like it works. And so I wonder how much, when you uh, factor in the budget sizes on the gaming side, like we mentioned, Spider-Man being 360 million, that's more of a one, of a separate thing. There's nothing on the Xbox side. As far as I know, that would cost that much. Um, but can a monthly model actually give you the big tentpole AAAs that you want? I don't think so. No. I think you need to be a rock star um, and, and to be able to do something as big as GTA 6. And I'm curious, um, on the PlayStation side, you know, Jim Ryan, there was a whole internal leaked conversation with him a few months ago, um, maybe like, maybe even almost a year ago, when people were talking about Game Pass versus PlayStation Plus and the idea of archives and legacy catalogs and all that kind of stuff. And he apparently didn't, didn't pay much attention to that, didn't mm-hmm. think it was much of a serious thing to put uh, time into or effort into which I would say is why the PlayStation Plus Classic uh, tier, the amount of PS1 games you get in PS2 games, is terrible yeah. compared to what it should be. Um, and it's, it's been interesting since he announced his retirement and we had Buzz Lightyear of Star Command being put on there. Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace is just about to drop on it as well. Literally. And so it's like, is that is that a thing internally where someone who's been saying, like, look, you need these little gems that people associate with their childhood, yeah. with their potentially teenage years. Um, we need them on that system. That's how you get people across because that's the thing that Xbox have been doing better, even though they put push Game Pass and new titles, and here's a smattering of games every month, they do have all the backwards compatibility stuff. If you want to play Sonic Fighters in 2024, you can, and it'll run in HD, and it'll run very well. I think they're realizing that their initial promise of having those major first-party releases every few months to Mm. kind of justify Game Pass in the long term 
That's not really happening right no. now. It might eventually happen in the future, but it doesn't seem like anytime soon we're going to be in a position where if you pay for a year's, year's worth of Game Pass, you're going to get Fable and Gears of War, Halo within the same period, right? <laughs> yep. You're going to get these kind of That was the initial idea. Yeah. Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. But now, you know, that's kind of not happened, and I still really like Game Pass. I still use it for all of those um, indie games that, like, release mm-hmm. day one and those kind of double-A games that release on there. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. But I wonder whether they're, again, looking at kind of market trends across different mediums and pretty much everywhere people are admitting that these streaming services are just a money sink you know we've seen movies the movie studios realize this you know your disney pluses your paramount pluses whatever Mm -hmm. realize that we can't keep spending this much money on the content when it's not justifying the subscriber base or bringing people in or getting that money back and what you said there can they justify making these triple a games if they're going to be xbox exclusive Mm -hmm. i wonder whether that's why they're exploring these avenues of licensing them out to other consoles because it allows them to sell more copies it allows them to recoup more of that money Mm. like i said while still 
advertising Game Pass as a place as a place to play. It still gives people a reason to buy mm. Xbox. It just means that the people who probably rightfully so um, who aren't going to buy an Xbox just to play, you know, maybe even the new Gears of War or whatever, mm. can still buy it because it's not like it's a lost console sale, if that makes sense. It's not no. like those people were ever going to jump over anywhere. It's an additive sale. It's mm-hmm. something they wouldn't have played otherwise or wouldn't have bought otherwise if it didn't come to their machine. I mm-hmm. don't know if that's the model going forward that can help justify focusing so much on subscription services because you have other revenue streams coming in. I don't know. Well, that's, it depends what they want the Xbox name to mean mm-hmm. like now because there was that whole thing again during the FTC trial where there were various leaked documents and it was Phil Spencer uh, talking to members of his team about acquiring Nintendo and how that would be a huge get and that would be like a career milestone and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it would be a, it would be a thing. It would mm. be a big deal. You would kill it. You would absolutely ruin Nintendo <laughs> if you tried to get, and get involved at all for whatever. You know that episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns is barely held together by the amount of different diseases? Yes. They just perfectly sit together. That's Nintendo. I think about that all the time. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That's, that's literally Nintendo. And uh, and I think, yeah, that whole thing of like, what do they want the Xbox brand to mean? Do they want it to be associated with consoles? People who grew up with it, like ourselves, who were there from day one, mm. associated with the original Xbox, the big hardware, the bulky controller, then the 360 and the blades and the dashboard and all that kind of stuff. There aren't really that many. And I guess I should talk to some of the younger generation or whatever about this. There doesn't seem to be that many associations, iconic parts of the Xbox identity that come from the Xbox One and the series generations. Like there's maybe an affiliation with Game Pass where people look fondly on the idea of Game Pass or something. But do they just want Xbox to be the logo? And that means value for money. And that's all it means. And like, that's cool. And like the way that Sega kind of went for a while where it was just, it just means Sonic and Crazy Taxi for a bit. Um, and I just wonder, because like, they don't really have the uh, the game associations with Xbox anymore. Like You mentioned Gears. Gears hasn't been Gears for ages. Mm-hmm. And like Gears 4 and 5 were solid enough, but like they didn't blow up the way like Last of Us does or something. Um, and it's just interesting. It's like that idea of what does Phil Spencer want to leave, like his mark, what is that going to be? Like he yeah. talked about, he clearly loves, he loves a bit of an acquisition every now and then. And uh, there's a thing in the FTC, um, the quotes and everything, where they were talking about how much revenue Game Pass makes. Um, and I think it made about 30 percent of their bottom line mm. um, and the idea was that obviously the business gets bigger but game pass itself doesn't end up taking up more of that bottom line it's nearly always about 30 percent or whatever that number was it stays mostly the same you might get like a, a bigger business but it's not actually going to be 80 percent of their business yeah and so he said um, this was in september last year um that in regards to game pass he said i can fairly safely say that if we do not make any more progress than this off of console we'll exit the gaming business if this were the outcome i.e we're not getting more game pass revenue um i don't believe we'd still be in the business now that's and um, that's projecting towards 2027. Wow. Um, and they've started uh, doing, obviously, Game Pass on PC. Um, Sony as well, experimenting with putting Horizon on PC. Yeah. So they're trying to make that stuff work. But uh, yeah, it's it's still the, the crux of the thing is like, is Game Pass it? It is crazy, isn't it? I yeah. wonder, you know, how... Again, it's, it's, this is a, an opinion in progress. I haven't completely solidified this, but I was just thinking about when you were talking there. I wonder whether they've kind of just done the definition of insanity thing and sort of realized it because <laughs> they've gone up against Sony across three generations now, right? And they have lost every time. They did really well in the Xbox 360 era. They dominated the conversation. Mm. They were briefly ahead. At the beginning, yeah. But if we're looking in total numbers sales, the PS3 eventually, even after its fumbles, you know, crept ahead yeah. just enough to beat it, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether they're looking at the monthly numbers of they're getting outsold, you know, two to one, three to one, nine to one in certain territories and gone, 
why are we fighting in this realm? We're like, really bad at it. Yeah, like, like <laughs> we're making money, of course. It's not that they're doing bad, just if they're wanting to be the top dog and mm. they're wanting to sell more than the competition and be above the competition in those regards, I wonder if they've just kind of realized that might never happen. We've done this for 20 years plus, and we've never gotten ahead mm. to the degree where we can confidently say we'll maintain this lead forever. So I wonder if that's why they've kind of pivoted and gone, well, yeah, you can fight that battle over there, so we're mm-hmm. going to try to make money and try to innovate and try to find new revenue streams through all of these different models, Game Pass being the one. And mm-hmm. maybe that's ultimately, in the long term, healthier for the industry because it doesn't mean that Sony doesn't have competition. Microsoft is still obviously making a bunch mm. of first-party games. They wouldn't buy all of those developers otherwise. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of, I think, gives players more choice. Like, I love oh, Game yeah, Pass. Yeah. I, when, when, when Sony and Microsoft, right, we're going head-to-head on the same chessboard over the same kind of um, classic formulas that we are accustomed to. Mm. Your exclusives, your big um, hardware specs, stuff like that. My Xbox One never got played. Right. You know, I never touched it. And in this generation where they've pivoted and offered me something that Sony mm. initially didn't anyway, I play my Xbox One way more. Like, I, I view it as on par in terms of playtime with my PlayStation, okay. even though that probably edges ahead. And mm-hmm. I just think by them jumping to a different chessboard, jumping to a different game altogether, I, for me personally, anecdotally, that has made them so much more appealing than when they were just going to head-to-head and losing my vote every mm. time. Well, like, yeah, game like that that idea of I wonder what I've got this month, and then like oh I read about like Cocoon is a phenomenal game. Mm. It's just on Game Pass. You can just go play it. I think that's a really cool thing. And like they, it's always about like for me, it's all about like consumer mentalities. That idea of do you want a smattering of stuff every month, or do you want to? Uh, and it's obviously curated to a point. Or do you want the the big head turning releases that get like, the conversation stars, the Elden Rings, the GTA sixes, like the, the big big ones, Last of Uses, and everything else. And uh, that's been interesting to watch me out because like there is that conversation of like, oh, Game Pass doesn't have anything on it. Mm. It's like, well, it does if you go looking for it. It's like, I don't necessarily think it's banger for banger, but most of the time, if you hear about a game and it's not of a certain production level, it's probably on Game Pass. And I think in regards to a consumer mentality thing, they have gotten it over that if a game is releasing, you'll check Game Pass first. Yes. And people do do that. And like, you'll save money. Like, I mean, when uh, Like a Dragon, The Man Who Erased His Name came out, it's the uh, Kazuma Kiryu spinoff. That's just on Game Pass. That's like, and it's not a 70 pound game. It's about 40 or something, but you can just get that. And it's like, yeah. when they get those little wins in there, like that's what they need to capitalize on. Like people do think of it, um, but it's rare that they then follow up by going like, oh, cool. I can then play blah. Like people need pushing in the direction of a cocoon or whatever They do, they do. But that is that the potential of that and the, the current implementation of that mm. is honestly why I do think Game Pass is the right thing to double down on because right. even if I'm not jumping on Game Pass and booting up my Xbox to play those first-party exclusives mm-hmm. on the service, I am still getting so much playtime with the machine and mm-hmm. therefore being involved within the Xbox ecosystem and justifying my subscriptions um, because they dropped the likes of Lies of P, a <laughs> game that I probably even though I love Souls-likes, wouldn't have been able to justify spending £50 on Mm. had it only been available um, on storefronts, you know? But instead, it was on Game Pass. I was looking forward to it. I jumped into it. Ended up being one of my favorite games of the entire year. And I wouldn't have got that experience had it just released on um, without that subscription. So there's been enough of those, like Mm. you said, for me to kind of think that 
Game, game Pass is the way forward because even though those big AAA games that we kind of associate with their initial promise aren't there, the likes of Lies of P, the likes of Remnant 2, which mm. eventually did come to the service, the likes of, what was it, Midnight Club something, the fight one, the fighting game that came out last year. The fighting game? Doesn't matter, there was this excellent, like, Melee combat game that came out on the- Oh, Midnight uh, Fight Express. That's the yeah. one. I knew it wasn't Club. Midnight Fight ruled. Express, Immortality, whatever it is, you know, the, all that stuff coming to Game Pass. Yes. It's not perfect, but it's definitely, like I said, getting mm. me on that machine way more than any of their exclusive game attempts did in the last generation. Which is to bring it full circle as to like what Phil Spencer wants his reign to represent. Like, I mean, I don't think he's going to be with Xbox for the rest of his life. I don't necessarily think he's a Shigeru Miyamoto or whatever. I think he'll have his little chunk and he'll be done. I imagine it's a stressful as hell, horrible job, to be honest. Um, And so I think that whole idea of like, okay, what does he want his um, tenure to represent? It's getting as many games in front of as many people as possible. And potentially just being a third-party publisher is the end game of that, providing you can foot the bill. Like, um, there was a thing, I forget the name of the developer, but it's the developers behind Spirit Tea, which is like another little cozy kind of farming, earthbound type game that came out at the end of last year, or towards the end of last year, um, where the developer was actually started a bit of a furore over on Twitter because they talked about it actually doesn't benefit them putting money into advertising Mm. because they'll do well on Game Pass anyway. Um, and the dude was talking more about like doesn't really enjoy that side of, of the industry, just wants to kind of get it out there. I'm very much simplifying, but um, their game did do well on Game Pass, and I think he shared some statistics and stuff for that. Um, but the overall conversation is like, if you have a game, anyone mm. has a game they want to get out there, and you can get a deal on Game Pass, you'll get eyeballs on it in a way that you won't on a standard storefront. Like that, that potentially is all it needs to be. Yeah. If you only care about getting as many games in front of as many people as possible, quality the conversations are on quality, around curation, come after that. But as like as a fundamental model for people who like games have access to games. Yeah. Potentially that's all Phil Spencer really cares about. Yeah. Um, even though he obviously has to do right by all the shareholders and all that kind of crap. Um, but there's a through line of doing right by the developers that I've always appreciated. Um, I would like that to be on a bigger scale Mm -hmm. and I would like more planning to be there. And a lot of stuff came from the FTC trial where uh, internal emails talking about how he was very much aware that they're messing things up and they're not delivering on the, the cycles that they mentioned and everything. Um, I forget the name, uh, it might have been Aaron Black, I forget the name of the dude that was on the inside of Xbox, saying that Starfield was the starting pistol for the generation. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. And, it's, and then that game's only gone on and on to be more negatively revered, so, um, or referred to. Um, so I guess we'll see. But like where Xbox are at the minute is kind of where the whole generation's been. Yeah. They've got irons in the fire, <laughs> they'll get there eventually, and they're taking over on Game Pass. But yeah, when I looked up uh, most anticipated games of Xbox 2024, um, after I'd done the stuff off the top of my head, like Hellblaze, um, I remember Perfect Dark, like that game's apparently in development hell. Yeah. They just don't have very much. There's, no. another, there's another Microsoft Flight Sim, and that's about it. That's it. It's like uh, Schrodinger's like, <laughs> console library, isn't it? Yes. You know, they've got theoretically so much. They have well, this all time these last year developers. Was Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And they've got stuff they've announced. You know, they've got Perfect Dark, they've got Fable, they've got Avowed, they've got the Outer, Wilds, uh, Outer Worlds 2. All yeah. of this potential. And yet we, we see none of it and we don't know when any of it's coming. So this year, yeah, we'll probably get, you know, a, a couple games. We'll probably get another trailer for Hellblade. And then we might be, you know, having this exact same conversation in December 2024 saying, well, 
They do have those irons in the fire, and they are getting hot. But uh, when are they coming out? Well, so when as we're recording this, um, we're a few days away from the Xbox uh, Direct, where they're going to be showing off Indiana Jones, which yeah. is, I think, that is an ex- exclusive. And they might do some shadow drop stuff then. Hi-Fi Rush was a shadow drop last year, and that game was beautiful. True. Um, and so there's a potential for that. Let's talk about Nintendo because um, Nintendo are the ones that are like they're always to me one of the most curious entities in gaming because they're just so on their own island. Um, I do think it's been fascinating though um, watching the sort of moves they've done across the last year or so where they have got a lot. Uh, there's been a lot more exposure onto the developers that are helping them out. They used to be so closed off where it was like who's de- who's developing Zelda or Mario or Pikmin or whatever Nintendo. <laughs> Whereas like now it's like Next Level Games and Monolith Soft and these like small. They've always been associated with them, um, but I feel like uh, it was like Mario Battle League a couple of years ago, uh, that game's character animation is unbel- is perfect. It's like Pixar level. It's gorgeous. And it's not a Nintendo, um, it's not a Nintendo first party studio. I think yeah. they might have been acquired now. Um, but it was Monolith Soft. And then Monolith Soft helped with Tears of the Kingdom. And it's like, um, there's a whole conversation going on at the minute about Nintendo uh, licensing their IP to other people. Um, and that's hardly ever happened in gaming history. Mm. They've, they've always been very closed off. Um, and I mentioned the Mario movie. I want to mention the Mario movie as well, because that was such a, obviously the first Mario movie, the Bob Hoskins one. It's a cult classic. It at is. The, at the best. Some would say. You could say, but um, that movie was so bad, at least from Nintendo's point of view and the sale at the box office and everything, that they just put the walls up and <laughs> for, for decades. Never again. And now they're starting to let the drawbridge down again and uh, and obviously the Mario movie was incredible best movie of last year to be honest what if they do that again though with the live action Zelda that's what they're going to do it yeah (laughs) Yeah, what if they get some bozo not that Bob Hoskins was a bozo I'm not saying that (laughs) Bob Hoskins was excellent uh, especially in Mario I genuinely love his performance there but what if they just get like some bozo to play bloody Link and then they're like well we made a mistake Uh, again the walls are coming up or some uh, bozo to direct it I don't know we should talk about let's get back around to that in a sec it's just that that general mentality seems to be shifting within Nintendo, I think, um, as someone who's followed them for decades at this point, like, for as long as I can remember, really, as long as I've been following Sega as well, um, you've had Shigeru Miyamoto at the top. Like, yeah. he is the dude that is responsible for Mario and Zelda, and that dude's getting on. Like, um, And he's an absolutely incredible, influential, maybe the most singularly important individual in gaming history. Um, but we are, you know, he's getting older. And um, I like that last year he decided to um, get back into game development and do Pikmin 4, and that was, like, the first game he'd done in a while where he was, like, really involved in the direction of it and everything. And you could tell it was like this beautiful little pristine, humble little game um, that a lot of people love. And so I wonder that Miyamoto's era like is, I mean, the the Switch 2 is obviously on the cards as well. Been rumored for a while. And um, there was a lot of stuff that came out of the uh, the factories that were apparently working on the system during the pandemic. And then yeah. they ended up releasing the Switch OLED instead. Uh, and I always took that to be like, well, the only component that was ready was the screen. So we'll just put it out with a new screen. Um, but we are overdue a new Switch. Like it's been seven years now. We are, man. And so, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, this is my prediction for myself for 2024. Yeah, pick up the Switch. I don't think I'll buy a single Switch game <laughs> until the new hardware comes out. Right. I just can't see it. Unless mm. it's the Princess Peach game that's coming out, which Hell I might yeah. dabble in. I just can't see myself um, paying the money to buy any first-party games or any third-party mm. games on that platform because I feel like now, for me personally, and I'm obviously not the biggest Nintendo fan anywhere, but the the gulf in experiences feels so large now mm. that we are f- almost four years into what you would describe as next gen. And I've become accustomed to certain luxuries that the <laughs> Nintendo Switch just um, doesn't have. So I'm looking forward to new hardware massively. And to be honest, I think this is why 
I was backing subscription services so much in the earlier part of this podcast because mm-hmm. if Nintendo had a better subscription service where I could try a lot of their games that they are releasing on the Switch without that barrier to entry price-wise, mm-hmm. I would pick it up so much more. I would love to jump into Pikmin or Super Mario uh, Wonder mm-hmm. or the Kirby game. In the, is it the Lost Kingdom? That <laughs> you, you ain't playing Kirby. What I might do if it's on a subscription, you know, all well, I want is to is a reason to jump onto the Switch. And yeah, you might say, well, the games are there, but I want a way to access them that doesn't cost me 50 quid a go because Nintendo never slashed their prices. That's true. They do have game trials as part of Nintendo Switch Online, but they nearly, they're nearly always for third parties. Yeah. Um, EA did one with Faith Farm over the Christmas. Um, they do have one nearly every month, but it's it's super rare if it's a Nintendo first party. That's still that we're super guarded and you'll pay the money thing. Yes. Which people like me just with our little, um, little cups and saucers going like, yes, sir, please, I will. How much do you want? It doesn't even have to be new games. I know they've got a bunch of um, classic titles on there, oh, but they, it's they not are. enough. It's And want more. What do you mean? What else do you want? I want whatever they have to give me. I want a library that rivals the uh, the one on the uh, Wii U or the original Wii. I can't that is remember. largely there now. Is it? Yeah, I would say I so. I know you can play like all of the Zeldas. Super Metroid, such. all the Zeldas, all the Marios, all the Kirbys. Can you play like Metroid Primes and whatnot? Uh, Metro Prime Remastered is on there. They haven't done Prime 2 and 3. That's exciting. But I kind of want those franchises to mm-hmm. be able to to go through. And if we don't go that classic, games from the past few years mm. that I've never had a... I wouldn't normally play because I... that they're, they're, They'd be more experimental for me personally in terms right. of my tastes, and I wouldn't be able to justify the money on them. Mm-hmm. And I know maybe I'm sounding entitled. Maybe it's like I want everything for free. But like I said, that's the reason I keep going back to the Xbox because I get to try games I otherwise wouldn't, and I yeah. want Nintendo to be able to offer me well, that at a viable price point. I would say, I mean, I Nintendo's archive, like Nintendo's legacy stuff, the NES library, SNES, Nintendo 64, Game Boy Advance, and regular Game Boy, they're all on there for the monthly price. Like, that is, an, that is a hands-down better deal than Game Pass and PS Plus combined. <laughs> See, this is the thing. I've not looked at the library um, since I had my break, but right. when I looked at the offerings that they had for the Game Boy Advance, for instance, mm. I was disappointed. Right. And, and it's, 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 it's a me thing because those they just do more weren't the games yeah. that I played, but when I see the titles that they offer from these older consoles, of course, there's some great ones in there and ones that I should definitely get to, mm. but not enough. To me, it's it's not as bad as the PlayStation Classics library, but it's, it's nowhere near as good as the premium offering oh, for PlayStation or, or Xbox. Yeah, no, that's fair. I'm, I'm talking about, like, you've got, like, the history of Metroid is on there, minus the one that was on 3DS, but the whole, like, you can play Super Metroid, Ocarina of Time, all the Zeldas, all the yeah. Marios, like, that is, like, in terms of the importance of the gaming or just the quality that's in those, t- like, Link to the Past is on there, like, some of the best games of all time for, like, eight pounds a month. Yeah. And you've got an entire, like, 30-plus year history of Nintendo right there. Um, I love that thing. I think that I think their approach to archive stuff to me is the best way to do it. Ah. Um, I think like doing it per console is a really good way of doing it. One thing I would I wish um, Sony and them would do is a like a, a PlayStation Two month or, or a PlayStation Two collection um, where it's curated. They Sony had that thing for a while where they were letting people vote on what they wanted the PS uh, Plus freebie to be, and you pick between three games, and then they would put one on there. Yeah, do that for your legacy titles. Get mm. those conversations going. Like I don't know why they don't do any of that stuff. Um, but Nintendo, um, for the vast majority, have nailed that stuff. The Game Boy Advance stuff, um, like obviously Mario and Luigi's on there. There's the Game Boy Advance Mario Kart's on there. Um, they could do more with. Third, they could license more third parties. 
party. He's That's like, the stuff. I want WrestleMania 18 on there, but they're I not going to do that. Spider-Man's mis- uh, Spider-Man's Spider-Man Mysterio's menace on there, Scott. <laughs> I want to play the games that I played, which weren't those first-party Nintendo uh, ones. <laughs> I tell you what's an interesting thing though is that uh, to bring in like the fact that Buzz Lightyear of Star Command and Star Wars Episode One are appearing on PlayStation Plus. Yeah. That, I don't know how what what conversation was that um, because it's very rare that you get something that was like a movie tie-in or of a particular era of, of licensing coming back now without a really specific conversation and I wonder if that's people on the publisher side reaching out as opposed yeah. to Nintendo or, or Sony in that case um, reaching out so I wonder if we'll start to see more stuff like that um, on Nintendo systems more of those licensed games or whatever um, but yeah the whole thing uh, I think with like you know like I said you've got uh, Miyamoto who's been doing this like for the better part of his life um, curating such a huge business um, there's uh, Nintendo are such a mixed bag because they can go from being cuddly and warm and oh, I love you Nintendo to oh my god that's the coldest thing you've ever done yes and why are you taking Mario 64 off so we'll, we can only we can only buy it for a month and we've got to pay at some point in the future again um, they had that whole weird approach to voice chat across the first few years of the Switch, where you had to get a companion app and plug a microphone into your phone. Is that right? And you couldn't talk to people. Um, and they were just so behind. Um, I do feel, though, that's why I mentioned it at the start, that they are easing off on all that stuff. I feel like a lot of people have uh, managed to get through to whoever the decision makers are at the various levels of Nintendo to say, look, you should put this on the Switch or look, mm. you should have this library available or whatever. And you can absolutely argue um, that the Wii U's approach was better in terms of the breadth of stuff that was there. Mm-hmm. But the emulation is better on the Switch. Right, yeah. Um, they're upscaled. Like, you know, you have way more... Um, I forget if the Wii U had save states, but the way the Switch does it, I think is a very solid way to do it. They could do more, but it's very, very good. I Listen, I don't agree. I don't, I don't agree. I don't <laughs> disagree. God, you can tell I've not done this for a while, can't you? Um, I don't disagree um, with what you said there about like the service being quality. Of Mm. course it is. My only criticism is that in my opinion, it caters to people already in the Nintendo ecosystem, unlike Xboxes, which is going to give me, like I said, access to an immortality or Mm. a lies of P um, on day one. And it's a reason to boot up the system. It's a reason to jump in. You know, I, I want to play more Nintendo games. I just want Nintendo to be more inviting about we'll see, but that, it. And, and let me clarify, no, no, more no. recent Nintendo games, oh. the stuff that I mentioned, like Kirby and like Mario and Rabbids or whatever, you know? They're like Nintendo's approach, because they are doing that, but with the third parties. Like you said about yep. Liza Peace on Game Pass, <coughs> excuse me, then Faith Farm is on Game Trials. Right, yeah. Like, they, they are doing that. No, Faith Farm's not going to be your thing. No. But they do do a different game trial every month. What I mean is game trials just ain't it. Like, I'm not paying for... Uh, the PlayStation subscription mm. to use PlayStation's game trials. This you is your favorite of demos. It's though. like it is. I you know I hate demos, <laughs> man. Demos. I mean, I love that demos exist. Yeah. Demos just aren't for me, as I've explained before. So it's cool that they have a game trial on there, but I'm not talking about them getting me in for an hour or so or a couple mm. of hours and then still expecting expecting me to pay sixty mean. pounds for it. I'm talking about like access. I'm talking about giving me a, a taste of what I could be missing out on. Um, that is more than just a, a, to me, a glorified demo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, I, yeah, I, I know what you mean in terms of the accessibility of it. I, like what you're getting for a monthly fee or monthly price. I do like the availability of that wider, like the game trial stuff, um, on PlayStation and on uh, Nintendo. But yeah, their first parties are the ones that are the most locked up. And if we talk about what's what's coming out in 2024, very little. Yeah, like they've got the Princess Peach game, uh, Princess Peach Showdown. I think that's scheduled for March, um, and they've got Mario versus Donkey Kong. In Feb. Um, I'll get both because it's me, but that's pretty much it. Like, there's still Metroid Prime 4 with a big question mark over it. I have to imagine that game is a, is a Nintendo Switch 2 
launch title. Got to be because I think point, right? you you hang. But I, if if my dreams come true, then you have new tech, you have this 4K capable, whatever it is, higher frame rate, heftier system. Yeah, and then you put your bigger, heftier games on there. You've got your new Metroid Prime. Metroid Prime Remaster was an absolute dream last year. That yes, thing is perfect. Uh, runs gorgeously, looks beautiful, looks way better than any other Switch game. Um, and that wasn't Nintendo's uh, in-house devs either. I think that was Monolith Soft. Uh, could be wrong. I think it was Retro Studios. Um, but still, this year, you've got um, the Princess Peach game and Metroid uh, Prime, but I hope that they hang back a little bit. And then if my dreams come true, they do a new Metroid on the best hardware they've ever got. You get a new Star Fox, um, and you you'd go into those games that need the, the rendering tech. Yeah. And you have a lightning-fast X-Wing-style Star Fox thing where a dogfight and a fox. <laughs> Give me it. Better than the last Star Fox, that is. Oh, mate. Oh, yeah, that thing was a, was a bit of a mess. Not that I played very much of it. I didn't mean, have a, a Wii U for very long, but yeah. I'm with you, though, man. Like, I... If, if, if they kind of have a quiet year with the games that you just um, mentioned, but also announce the next piece of hardware and kind of gear up, getting us excited, re- uh, release the trailers, the reveal trailers for a few launch titles for it, that would be enough for me mm. in terms of Nintendo. Um, I don't need the console this year, but I need to know something like that is coming, and I would like them to have a stacked launch lineup as well because I'm yeah. very selfish. And then I would buy your games, Nintendo. Do you think they would? Would you? Are you getting a Switch too as soon? Like as soon as like one launch day? Are you going to wait this time? I will see what the launch games are, but I like I say, I want to like Nintendo. I want to like the Switch, and I love my pick Switch. It up. Well, this is it. I loved it for the first few years, mm. but. It used to be a kind of indie machine. I would play games like Undertale on there and Night in the Woods. But Mm. since, like I said, Game Pass has been introduced and has a lot of indies not only available on there for free, but day one, Mm -hmm. it's kind of been put down as even my indie machine. And now my indie machine is weirdly the Xbox Series X. Um, So I just, I'm, I'm eager to love it. I'm eager to have a reason to jump back into the ecosystem. And if they're not going to do that, more open subscription service that I talked about, mm. new hardware and exciting games is um, going to be the only other kick up the ass that they could give me. <laughs> yeah, my thing is, like, I love all the first party stuff, which I get uh, in an archival sense. Like, they have, if I want to go back to Ocarina or Mario Kart or something, I can do that. Um, and then I'm buying all the little indies. Like, Dave the Diver is like a perfect Switch game. Um, or like that, something like that Spirit T game that is on Switch, but it's on Game Pass for free. Yeah. Um, and it kind of walks that line that would get you back on Xbox. But for the most part, uh, my Switch has kind of be- weirdly kind of become like a retro system as well. Mm. Um, because I bought Red Faction Guerrilla on there. Yeah, you did. Over the holidays, because yeah, it was, it was on sale for like two pounds. And I was like, I'll play this on a Christmas break. Oh, yeah. And uh, so there's that. And then like I'm going back through Final Fantasy X at the minute. So it's like, and, and on, on the Switch. Um, but it is the portability of it. It's like playing it on a train or in bed or something. Um, but yeah, I think when Nintendo are at, um, they so don't care about putting <laughs> anything out this year. If it's ready, they'll put another Switch out. Um, but it's very telling that the only two games on the docket right now that actually have release dates are Mario vs. Donkey Kong and Princess Peach, which are very simplistic games to put out. They look beautiful, yeah. um, but they're 2D side-scrollers. Like, uh, they'll play very well, it's Nintendo bread and butter, and I'm sure they'll sell very well but they're not blowing anybody away just yet. And that's not really the business they're in either. No, that's like, true. I would love a, an all bells and whistles new age Star Fox, but that's just a, a, wish, a, a dream at this point. You know what I might actually buy a Switch 2 for? What? Just a remastered version of Tears of the Kingdom. I, that's I apparently what they've been showing off with. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Because I, I played that game a lot. You know, I've played it for 
I want to say like 60, 70 uh, hours or something. But I always felt like, and I mentioned this to death when we did our spoiler casts on it and such, but I always felt like it was just held back a little bit by the um, by the hardware that it was running on. I didn't appreciate the frame drops. I didn't appreciate the, <laughs> the blurriness in some sections. And I just wanted that little bit more detail mm-hmm. um, to the world. So if they announced a remaster for the Switch 2, I'd probably buy a Switch 2 just for that so I can kind of yeah. experience it with um, a bit some more bells and whistles. Well, apparently um, there was a, a behind closed doors demo of the Switch, whatever the next hardware is, uh, at EZX. Uh, Future Game Show's Jules Gill, ex Culture Gaming Jules Gill, although he's still around, Jules Gill. still Gale, around. Um, said that he saw lots of security around the Nintendo booth, and it was later confirmed that um, right. there was uh, a demo of whatever the next hardware is behind closed doors. <sighs> he's too tall um, to have snuck in as well, <laughs> and he? You couldn't just, like, get him in a suitcase. Just an, and egg, an egg between the, the bodies <laughs> trying to get in. But, um, yeah, so apparently it was, but that apparently the demo that was shown up for that behind closed doors demo was an upscaled version of Tears of the Kingdom, um, which is interesting because I imagine with how long hardware takes to put together, they probably built it with the Switch 2 in mind and then had to make a version work on the Switch, which is probably why it was so addled and the the jagged shadows almost you know, put your eye out. I know this might, you know, be poison to you, what I'm going to suggest right now. But I worse, know you, you wanted to delete Nintendo the other day, <laughs> so you can't do worse than that, can you? <laughs> I'll delete him, man. Um, I know you mentioned before about how much you loved uh, the Metroid Prime remaster yeah. because it was so beautiful, it was so beautiful. well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, as someone who wants to experience these older games, uh, but would like a reason to uh, jump in more than just kind of emulation in some regards, I want to see more of those remasters mm. because Metroid Prime looked amazing. I really enjoyed the uh, Skyward Sword remaster oh, that they put out, but if they put out more of those yeah. on like the new hardware, I don't just, of course, want remasters of old games on it to justify buying it, but again, as someone who wants to love Nintendo and hasn't played so much of their back catalogue, that's given me a new way to experience these old classics that mm. might justify that purchased, you know, get all of the Metroid Primes running as beautiful as um, the one that's already been remastered, or get some of the old Zeldas uh, remastered in the same way as Skyward Sword, and I would jump on it. I know some of them already have been, but Uh I just mean in terms of making the most of the new hardware. I think they could take um, the version of Ocarina of Time that was on the 3DS, because they redid all, everything's redone for that, Um, and they redid some of the the puzzle solutions, and obviously everyone got new character models, and the 3DS version looks very, very nice, but at some point it was addled by the fact that it was on the 3DS. Um, but that would be the one that I would upscale and and do something with that to make it available. Um, yeah, I don't mind the emulation route. I love the feel of old games, and the only thing that always sucks <clears throat> when you go to old stuff is uh, checkpointing or the lack of availability to save. So as long as you yes. have a good save system in your emulation, then it, that for me, that's the perfect way to do it um, so I can save after every awkward thing. Um, but yeah, overall, um, as 2024 kicks in, I think all three companies are in weird positions. I don't think any of them are in really like good. They're like not none of them mm. feel like, oh my god, I can't wait to see what you do. I feel like I know what you're going to do, and none of it. It's very very little <laughs> for the rest of this year. I'd say they're all in good positions, mm. but not great positions. I don't feel like any of them at least from what we know so far, unless they have some major surprises at their mm. sleeves, are going to have a banger year. I feel like it does feel like a transition year. It yeah. almost feels like, you know, like that executive said, it's the starting point for the entire generation. You know, the starting pistol has been signaled. Mm. Sony has finally pivoted away from cross-platform releases and is, in theory, focusing on um, major PS5 exclusives. Mm. 
Xbox have irons in the fire, though they always have irons in the fire, <laughs> and Nintendo are clearly gearing up to eventually announce new hardware themselves. So it does mm. feel transitional. I'm sure we'll get a lot of games, good games, that release over the next 12 months. But yeah, I'm expecting it to be way quieter than last year. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, the Xbox Direct is coming up soon. There's rumors of a Nintendo one this month as well. Um, Sony, nothing. Sony, I've got a clue. No. Maybe Mark Sony's going to get in touch with his wired contact and we'll get a, <laughs> get a paragraph or two. But we'll see. For now, this has been the World Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tilford. That's all been one word. It's done by Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Tilford. Thank you for allowing me to uh, chat bollocks and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.